0: Well, for five weeks this fall, we are checking up on our spiritual health. Our spiritual health. We're looking at what we call the five vital signs of active membership at UPC. If you track your health with any kind of a device, you're probably tracking things like sleep, steps, your cardio, heart rate. And if you want to do something about your spiritual health, these are five indicators five things worth measuring. Worship, formation, community, mission, and giving. We call them the five vital signs of active membership at UPC because they're not just things that help us get individually healthy. They're things actually that get us collectively healthy, right? Uh, if you want to be part of an organization that is strong and healthy full of the presence of Jesus Christ in an authentic way then these are five commitments that we have to make to one another not just to Jesus but to each other and so at the end of the day these are five things you've got to be able to expect of me and these are five things I've got to be able to expect of you it's a little bit challenging here but that's what happens when you try to get healthy each week, I'm going the message is, as you notice, if you're looking at the title for this week's message, it's just quite basically a question. So I'm bringing the questions this week and you're bringing the answers. So I'm going to provide an opportunity for you to think about your own life and where you are in your faith journey and what might be a stretch goal, what might be something you could do in each of these five areas that would help you get a little healthier. So that by Thanksgiving, when Thanksgiving comes around, you'll have five new intentions. Five new commitments to Jesus and to your faith uh, community. So that's what we're doing today. And we started a couple of weeks ago. We began with worship. Hebrews 10 calls us to gather in worship like we're doing right now. So good job. Wow, it's happening. And then last week, Jennifer Kenny, if you didn't see Jennifer Kenny shoot a basketball in this room, you've got to go back and listen to that message. It was great. Uh, and uh, she led us through Ephesians chapter 3 on formation. We saw in Ephesians 3 that uh, we're invited to be formed by the love of Jesus shapes our lives. Today is about Christian community, Christian community. So here's the question, how am I, meaning you and me, living as family in a micro community of believers? What does that look like for you? What do you want that to look like for you? And why would I want uh, to do that? All right, so let's pull out our Bibles, uh, we're gonna find out in a text written by the Apostle Paul also in the book of Ephesians, but this is Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 16. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a black one in the rack in front of you if you're in the room, uh, pull that out and turn to page 951. Otherwise, navigate over on your own to Ephesians four fourteen through 16. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together, standing as an act of worship. When we're done reading I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it you could say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love we must grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. So you might want to keep the book open. Do you get the point of what we just read? Maturity takes community. Maturity takes community, that's what the Apostle is arguing. Notice what he says, we must no longer be children, but grow up into into him in every way. That's maturity, grow up. And then he says as each part is working properly, it promotes the body's growth, that's community, each part. So the point is, maturity takes community. Here's the way I would say it. I put my English major hat on. You know, I studied poetry in college. Uh, I did. I did. It's true. You don't want to hear it. But I will say this. You'll never say me the way you're meant to be until you find Jesus in a community or a body that says we. You could have finished that for me, right? Right. Come on. You'll never say me the way you're meant to be until you find Jesus in a body that says we. we. Absolutely. Maturity takes community. Dave Barry says this. College is basically 2,000 hours learning two things. Number one, things you'll need to know later in life. Two hours. Number two, Things you will not need to know later in life. 1,998 hours. This is Dave Barry. Don't, don't send me your emails. Barry says this. These are things you learn in classes whose names end in ology, osophy, history, ix, and so on. The idea is you memorize these things, then you write them down in little exam books, and then forget them. If you fail to forget them, you become a professor and have to stay in college the rest of your life. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. One of the things I learned when I was in college is the importance of spiritual community. Intentional community. I learned that in two hours. Every Tuesday night in a dorm room. A a group of ordinary guys from my team, the crew, we gathered and we'd, we'd, we'd read the Bible and we'd try to figure out together what to do with our lives in light of the one member of the group that was anything but ordinary. The one member of the group who showed up every week whether we were there or not. Jesus Christ himself. I I was in a micro community of believers. Now you may say, George, I mean, that was then, this is now, it's so quaint for you to talk about this kind of thing. I mean, it's one thing to do community way back in the Bronze Age when you were in college. But this is the age of the authentic individual. And I wanna agree with you about that. I'm gonna talk about this. This is the age of the authentic individual. You know, I used to think that the challenge to community was individualism. And I used to say, you know, I still say, I'm a recovering individualist. But I don't think it's just individualism. I'm coming to, to learn that the challenge to community today is individualization. Okay, Let me unpack that for you. Individualism is a set of beliefs about me alone. Individualization is a set of social pressures that makes you feel it's you alone or actually have to live as though it were you alone. You sociologists tell us that in a prior era, Our lives were deeply embedded in social networks and institutions that supported us. Kinships, classes, religions, political parties, trade groups, voluntary associations, bowling clubs. But today, social and economic pressures are disembedding us. They're pulling us out of these institutions and they're breaking these networks apart. So let me give you an example of this. Just notice the shift from the collective to the individual in a few things. Telephones moved from the town square or the kitchen wall into our pockets. News moved from three networks into our own social media feed, individually applied. Music moved from the concert hall or the radio stations into our individual playlists. Education moved from a common curriculum to individual, highly individualized learning and school choice. Same thing with the costs, Uh, move from the school to individual borrowers, right? We're still paying off those debts, some of us. Healthcare, move from our employer to individuals. Work, from corporations, companies, to a gig economy and side hustles. Retirement, from Social Security to individual retirement accounts. So you get get, get the pattern? The, The risks, the costs any care that there might be. It's all moved from collectives now to individuals. As one writer put it, contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care or common life. Rather, it's designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by profession and financial success. The point here is that individualism is something you can do or not do. Individualization is something that is done to you. Or as Taylor Swift says, you're on your own, kid. It's true, she's right. This is the age of the authentic individual. You're on your own. Now you may not notice this, but I'm gonna tell you, you do feel it. We all feel it. We feel what the Surgeon General is now calling an epidemic of loneliness. You know this, our technologies are isolating us. They're driving down in-person relationship. They're driving down the quality of our interactions when we have them. They're driving down our self-esteem. Recent research shows that one out of every two Americans experiences loneliness right now. One out of two. Look around. By the way, 36% of us experience loneliness miserable degrees of loneliness. That's more than one out of three. And among our college students, those of you who are 18 to 25, the number jumps to get this 61%, 61% of us. Miserable degrees of loneliness. And we now are discovering loneliness is linked to strokes, heart disease, dementia, inflammation, depression, anxiety, suicide. Loneliness is as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or six alcoholic drinks a day. Hey, I might start picking that up, right? Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times says, if the researchers are correct, social isolation probably kills far more people in the West each year than terrorists or murderers. And it costs the public enormous sums and unnecessary health costs. So, so ironically, the age of the authentic individual isn't helping us become who we're meant to become, it's actually killing us. It turns out constructing your own life by yourself is exhausting. Turns out the burden of self-fabrication is crushing. But Jesus offers us an alternative. Jesus invites you and me into spiritual community. Ah, wow. Jesus puts us in a "we" that lets us become the true me. Psalm 68, verse six says, God sets the lonely in families. Let's go back to our text, pull it out again. Ephesians four, that's on page 951. Notice that the apostle gives his readers three images in verse 14, infants, a rudderless ship, and loaded dice. Let me explain that. Infants, or as our text says, children, suggest immaturity. The plural of that word suggests he's thinking of us us individually. When we're on our own, we can be children, infants, immature. He's he's reminding his readers that just as you need to be in a biological family to grow up biologically healthy, you need to be in a spiritual family to grow up spiritually healthy as well. And then a a rudderless ship tossed, he says, this suggests insecurity tossed by trends and messages in the culture. What's in, what's out, what's trendy, what we consider offensive these days. Insecurity when we're alone. And then, he, and then this last one, loaded dice. This suggests vulnerability. Now you may not have seen this here because it's in the Greek there. The Greek word trickery is just the word for dice. Interesting, just dice. Because when we played dice in the ancient world, apparently we oftentimes cheated or took adv- advantage of the other person. Also, this section r- r- uses the language of the evil one as used elsewhere. We're vulnerable when we're on our own. See, these are the risks, as Paul sees them, of individuality, immaturity, insecurity, vulnerability. On the other hand, though, look at verse 16. He gives us here the image of a body, speaks of the whole body. Now, this is Paul's familiar language for community. Individuals are, in Paul's image here, different parts of the Bible. You might be a hand, she might be an eye. Elsewhere, we read Paul say, we are members of one another. I love that Romans 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or I have no need of you. This is the way we're speaking when we speak of church members at UPC. The, the word is it's the biblical language of members, meaning body part. When we talk about a member at UPC, we're talking about a person who has made themselves indispensable, uniquely gifted, spirit enabled, life giving participant of a spiritual community. They've signed up and said, I belong here because I'm a part of this body that we call Jesus at UPC. And the body is, in fact, Jesus. And this is the mystery of it. How how this works, I can't really tell you. But Paul is saying the body, the spiritual community, is actually the presence of Jesus, the continuing presence of Jesus in the world, (laughs) physically, spiritually present through spiritual community. It's amazing. I think we've got to wrestle with this. I mean, it sounds great, by the way, until you meet your first Christian, right? (laughs) Don't look around now. You meet that first Christian. There was a story in the the Daily, which is University of Washington's newspaper, a few years ago, was about a young adult who was in Sicily, and it was New Year's, and he went to the police station, and he he, um, tried to get himself arrested so he didn't have to spend New Year's with his family. (laughs) And they explained to him, "Sir, I mean, we just can't arrest you. There's been no crime." And so they discharged him. He went back next to the Tabak store down the street and he stole a pack of gum. And then they finally arrested him. He was safe from his own family. And many of us feel that way with the church today. Right? Oh, why, why would I have to do the church? Can I just meet you and me, Jesus? Can we do this together? And the Bible says it's good, not good for man, it's not good for a woman to be alone. But it is hard. it, it is hard. Spiritual community. Takes work. Remember, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, "Your brother is not a brother until they become a burden to you." Same with sisters. I'm sorry, but it's true. And I've told you before that God has this. I don't know if it's sense of humor, but He's this way. When when you get in a, a group of Christians, God always has a way of putting one person in that group who's what we call EGN—extra grace needed. Right? This just seems to be. There's always an extra grace needed person in every group. By the way. If you don't know who that person is in your group, guess what? <laughs> it's you. It's you. See, spiritual community is hard. It takes work, it takes intention. We fail at it. It takes commitment because of that. And maybe that's where we begin to find the maturity. Notice the practice Paul, he gives it to us in verse 15. There's a practice at the heart of this thing that drives Maturity, and it's this practice, speaking the truth in love, right? Verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way. So we ask, okay, Paul, what do you mean by truth? What is truth? Good question. Paul has actually already told us, if you're reading the whole letter in chapter one, verse 13, he says this, "You, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. There it is, same word. The gospel of your salvation oh, the message of truth, the truth is the gospel. It's it's the good news of Jesus, right? He's not saying speak the truth just in general, just always be honest, which is helpful. But he's talking about the good news as truth. This is not, you know, you you a little piece of kale in your teeth there. Did you know that? This is not, I I need to tell you that you hurt my feelings. Both, Both of which are good things in their own place. No, it's... It's much bigger and deeper than that. This truth is the good news of Jesus. It's what he's talking about in the whole letter uh, of Ephesians. And actually, the word for truth is interesting even further. The word for truth means unhidden. This is the Greek word. It means unhidden uh, or uncovered. Almost as though there's a veil that's been taken off of some. It's a compound word, unhidden. And so this is what he's arguing in the book of Ephesians, right? That God has... Uh, he has unhidden himself in Jesus Christ. He has taken the veil off himself and made himself known in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. God has spoken for himself in Jesus. He's unhidden himself. And so when you find yourself in spiritual community and you speak the truth in love, what you're trying to do is remove a veil from God. To speak the truth to someone in a spiritual community is to point them to Jesus is to talk about their particular situation, whatever they're going through right now in a way that, that takes the veil off the presence of Jesus in that moment, to unhide him for them. You're saying, here's God, God's love for you, brother. You're saying, here's the grace of Jesus for you, sister. You're uncovering Jesus. But God isn't the only thing that gets uncovered in spiritual community. When you speak the truth in love, we are uncovered too, and I want you to get this. I mean, it sounds a little bit scary at first, but I, I want you to understand, it's, it's profoundly safe. In fact, it's so safe that, that spiritual community, the presence of Jesus is literally the only place in the world that's so safe enough for you to be truly yourself. In the presence of Jesus, it's the only place where you can truly be who God really intends you to be, your actual you, it's in the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus does for us what nobody else can do. And Paul's already discussed that in chapter two. But just remember, for by grace, he wrote, for by grace, (laughs) you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, it's not the result of work, something you can generate or not generate, it's something that God has done, it's grace. So that no one may boast. And friends, if you can't boast, here's something else that's true, you can't be judged. Because it's about the Lord and it's not about you. And this is what we find in spiritual community. This is a community that can't judge you. It's in this community that even you are not allowed to judge you. Not in the presence of Jesus. Not in the presence of this community. Here you're saved by grace. Here your sins are forgiven. Here you're a new creation. Here we help one another unveil our true selves. This is what Paul is saying. Here when I come into this room I need to take my mask off and set it aside and become my true me. Little by little. And this is Paul's argument. If you read the whole letter, you'll you'll find this is what Paul's talking about throughout the whole book. In chapter one, he's at pains to say, you know, God loved you and chose you before the foundation of the world. Do you get that? Chapter two says, you are God's workmanship. I mean, you uniquely, and God has prepared good works for you. He's got a plan for you, for your life to walk in chapter 4 he says you're invited to, to, to put off your false self and put on your true self which is being renewed in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. That's the authentic you. And you grow into it through spiritual community. So again I'll put this on the screen one more time. You'll never say me the way you're meant to be until you find Jesus in a body That says, we. So, what about you? Can I be a little nosy here? How about you? How would you like to create more spiritual community around your own life? That's the question. By the way, parenthetically, this isn't just about having friends. I know you've already got friends, too many, maybe. You're busy. But this is about your friends being friends with each other as well because of Jesus. That's what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual community. Let me just put two slides up real quick. This slide is what we could call having friends, serial friends. That's you in the middle and your friends, great. This slide though, this is friends who are also friends with each other. So we could say this is not serial friends, but a circle of friends. Serial friends, the first one allows you to be a different people with different people, because you've got like, you've got your work friend, your school friend, your gym friend, your neighbor friend, your church friend. And with each one of them, you can play up a different side of who you are. Right. The problem is in the circle of friends, you can't get away with this because as one Princeton scholar says, when you're in that situation, they can all compare notes on you and make sure you're the same person wherever you show up, which sounds a little bit awkward at first, but it's integrating. It's helping you become your authentic self everywhere, all the time, with whomever you're with. So, so we want we want to be. Our, we're talking about a circle of friends here, and most importantly, it's with a circle of friends that we can put Jesus in the center. And I'll just tell you, you'll never be who you're meant to be as long as you're in the center of your own life and story. That's why we're we're not just talking about go get a lover or go get a a partner or go get a a spouse or something like that. This is unique. This is spiritual community. This is body. This is what Paul's talking about here. It's deeper than that. It's what's supposed to happen at church. This is why spiritual community is so important here at UPC. It's central to our mission. So let me just put our mission statement if you're new. This is what we're all about. We are a family of communities. Notice that a family of communities a network of communities that live as family. We join Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of our neighbors at the University of Washington in our neighborhoods, wherever God has put us, and all around the world. And then we have five values, and, and one of our five values is living as family, which means we share life together. not just meet for two hours. We share life together in circles of community. So let me give you a moment just to think a little bit about your own life, where you are with Jesus on your faith journey. And and, and how you'd like to grow in this area. What would would be a good next step? Go take a moment, pull out your phone. Would you just pull out your phone, uh, grab a piece of paper. Uh, Maybe you brought your journal even better. And and think about this question. How am I living as family in a micro community of believers? Open up a notepad. Just write an answer down there. How would you like to be living as family in a micro community of builders? By the end of the year, let's say, this academic year. You don't have to have a plan right now, but just make a promise to yourself and to the Lord, just to describe an intention that would be the next step for you. Don't shoot for the moon, just the next step. I don't know, it might be to have a coffee with a believer for the first time and kind of out yourself, you know what, I think I have faith in Jesus. It might be to find a prayer partner <laughs> that you exchange prayer requests on a monthly basis. It might be signing up for something you see in our e-newsletter, The Connector. Uh, so that you could meet some people at church, volunteer for something. The coolest people in any church are always volunteering and serving. It might be joining one of our immerse groups. You just come an hour earlier next week and we can put you right into an immerse group right away. You can read the Bible together with other believers. Might be starting a new small group, uh, maybe in your home or in a coffee shop. Uh, might be inviting someone into your small group. Okay, I know some of you have been in a small group for 30 years. You're like, it's a student group. Yeah, it was a student group 30 years ago. But now it's time to invite some of these current students. They they need you and you need them. So what would that look like? That could be a good step. Maybe it's taking the current small group you're in just a little bit deeper. Maybe it's coming back in person. Uh, Maybe it's becoming more vulnerable with one another, being a little bit honest more honest, maybe it's developing a rule of life. Say, hey, let's let these five things kind of define how we live our lives together. Whatever it is, I can tell you for me what it is, I've actually started putting these things together. So I've got my little vital signs sheet here. And so under these five vital signs for community, I've written this, here's my commitment for this year, to host an emotionally healthy discipleship at home with Ann on Sunday afternoons. It's two and a half hours every Sunday in our home. I probably should have checked with my wife on this one, but we're doing it, Ann, we're doing it. That's community for me, that's kind of where I am and, and, and that, that works with my life and, uh, and it's, it helps me. It helps me mature, it helps me grow. So what's it, what's it going to be for you? We just take a moment, write something down, maybe during the next song, write something down, share it with someone, ask the Lord to lead you. You know, I can still remember a few things from my 2000 hours of college, even things from classes. But nothing has shaped my life more than the two hours I spent in that dorm room every Tuesday night with ordinary guys just wrestling with, what are we going to do with this extraordinary member of the group, Jesus of Nazareth? What's he going to do with our lives? And as I think back on it, I remember how hard it was for me to get into that group. I mean, it took over a year for me to get in there, some serious arm twisting. And, and I, I can't believe the Lord wanted me in that group because God would bring Christians across my path. I was running away, but there'd be a Christian in my class or this party that I'm at, you know, or, or uh, on, the, on the team. It was like Jesus kept saying to me, George, how about you join them? And I'd say, no way, not me. And he'd say, well, why not? And I'd say, because I could never be like them. What do you mean, the Lord would say? Well, I'd say... There are only two kinds of people who call themselves Christians, those who walk the walk and those who don't. And I could never be either of them. Ah, Jesus would say, I guess you think you're too good for the one and not good enough for the other. (laughs) And I was caught in my own trap. The Lord said, and I said to him, exactly. And then he said this, I'll tell you what, let's do it together. Every time you go to that group, I'll be there with you. And I'll make sure, George, when they don't walk the the talk, I'll give you enough grace for them. And when you don't walk the talk, I'll give them enough grace for you. And I was in. And he did. And the more we talked and the more we walked together, a group of ordinary guys, the more we became convinced that someone extraordinary was walking with us. And that in that we, I was finding the me I always wanted to be. And He'll do the same for you too. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God three in one, an eternal circle of spiritual community, family. <laughs> Thank you for the gift. Uh, Thank you for the invitation into that circle. Thank you that you haven't asked us to climb into the heights of heaven to get there. You've descended down to right where we live. You've entered into our own humanity to come. You've embodied the gospel for us. And now, through your spirit, You call us to live in your body in the same way that you live, Jesus. So we just pray, we know this is way beyond us, Lord, but would you pour forth the fullness of your spirit on UPC, collectively, on each of us individually, on our small groups, in our neighborhoods, immersed, wherever they are, Lord, would you send forth your Holy Spirit and bind us to Jesus and bind us to one another. That we might offer to our neighbors real love, love that changes lives, not that comes from our feeble efforts, but love that comes from heaven, from the creator and the redeemer of all, that we might know and that our neighbors might know who we truly are and be authentically your children. We pray in Christ's name, amen.